Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I like this continuing law of Winged Wheel Podcast interviews where anytime it's a really significant interview, there is absolutely zero chance that Evan's life or schedule will allow him to make it. Yeah, pretty much. I'm free all the time until that exact moment. <laughs> it's it's karma, and you know what? I won't tell you for what. But I don't know. Hopefully one day it all pays itself back. I don't know, Brad. We had a great interview. That was yep. a lot of fun. I would say one of the most fun experiences of my life, Brad, doing that interview with Alex Nadelkovich, you and I. Oh, it was super fun. One of the defining moments of the podcast, I'd say. Truly. Couldn't imagine missing it. I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Back in the studio, uh, much to the joy of my dog who met, uh, who was able to see her two of her favorite people in the world, but especially Evan again. It's been far too long. Yes. Yeah. Evan actually legitimately, I don't think he was kidding very much at all, was asking when we'd, we'd be able to be back in person because he missed my dog. And this is a man who has never expressed any outward sense of friendship to either brad or myself in the seven plus years we've known each other so oh yeah that was on wednesday right we're talking about doing it in person i was like the only person i feel bad for in all of this is abby yeah 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 well her life's fulfilled again welcome back to the show folks here to talk to you uh all things red wings hockey including a very fun interview uh the world world of the nhl and uh, hockey beyond that i am one of your hosts ryan hannah i'm brad crisco and i'm evan on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, as you might have seen, we have a very special interview for you. Returning to the Winged Wheel Podcast, Red Wings goaltender Alex Nedeljkovic, uh coming back on the show to talk about last season, uh, this season ahead, what he's been doing in the offseason. Uh, always, always really great time having Ned on. Uh, and then we'll be talking about the, should be the last big RFA signing that Eisman has uh, or had this offseason in Philip Zadina, who signed a three-year contract. Some little bits of NHL and uh, international hockey news, and then we'll get into overtime. Before that, I want to let everyone know tickets will be on sale soon for Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. It is our third round of running this uh, in partnership uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. What we do is we host a live podcast at the LCA uh, featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, who are going to join us on the pod. Uh, there, There are special Winged Wheel Podcast Night tickets, so those tickets get you... Uh, not only access to the pregame uh, live show where there's going to be food and drinks available for you and a meet and greet and merch and all that fun stuff. They're also discounted and a portion of the proceeds from all of those tickets sold will go to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, who we are very, very proud to support. Uh, That is Saturday, October 29th versus the Minnesota Wild, uh, again, featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Evan, am I missing anything in that? uh, I got the discounted tickets. I'll never forget that. Thanks to you. That was the only thing I was going to mention. Yeah. You got it. So, uh, we're excited for those tickets to go on sale, hoping that that comes up for you soon. So stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter if you're not. And uh, that's probably where that information will come out first. Okay. Do we just want to jump right into it with Ned? Yeah, might as well. Goaltending has been a big storyline for the Red Wings over the past, well, I think, long time, going back to Jimmy Howard and the saga of Alex Nedeljkovic uh, coming to the Red Wings in the season he had last year and now this upcoming season where he has... Uh, another very capable goalie next to him in Vili Huso. That's all of interest to Red Wings fans everywhere. So we wanted to talk directly to the man about it. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Alex Nedeljkovic. 
All right. Welcome back to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Alex Nedeljkovic, goalie for the Detroit Red Wings. Alex, how are you doing, man? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Have you uh, have you been enjoying your offseason so far? What have you been up to? Yeah, yeah, I've been enjoying it. Been staying busy. We got a uh, we brought home an eight week an eight week old golden retriever puppy at the beginning of the summer. So we've been we've had our hands full trying to raise him and get him house trained and all that. But uh, other than that, just simple stuff. Trying to enjoy the summer and uh, just getting ready for the season. And you have one other uh, big guy at home too, if yep. I remember correctly. What's his name? Yeah, Zeke. Zeke, that's right black lab he's about three and a half years old now and those two are getting along well yep they're getting along really well brady brady's the golden and uh it's very much older brother big brother type of thing brady likes to pick on zeke a lot so uh to watch look man i i think the only thing that can beat out the uh the brady and zeke content this year is if you end up scoring that goal so either way i think you're set yeah hopefully we'll see you know we'll see that's what happens. So let's just jump right into this. Obviously, Alex, the last time we we talked was before you started with the Red Wings, and you just had a a full season with the team playing, uh, if I remember correctly, almost sixty games, and it was uh, it was some season for the NHL, the Red Wings, and, and you in particular. Uh, how did that season feel for you uh, coming to a new team in, in your first year in Hockey Town? It it was an adjustment. Um, you know, it was a long season, my first full 82-game season. And, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of things that I'll be able to take away from it, good and bad. Um, but that's part of being a pro. That's part of hopefully having a long, successful career is, you know, you're going to go through ups and downs throughout it. But as long as you learn from both and you apply it to, uh, you know, whatever you're doing today and the next day, you know, and, it, and you're getting better each and every day, it's – um, you know, that's what matters and that's what counts. And that's what, that's how guys end up having long careers. Is they're not just getting stuck on what happened yesterday. They're, they're moving forward and, and taking each day as a new challenge and, and getting better. So, um, a lot of good, a lot of bad too, but you know what, that's how it goes. Sometimes it's not always going to be, you know, the highs. So. One of the big talking points, anytime a, a goalie switches teams is just how it's going to affect the goalie with a different team, different systems in front of them. Cause obviously so much of the goaltending position is reading the play anticipation, all that stuff. Now that you've been through it, what do you make of that talking point and how dramatic is the adjustment going from a team like Carolina with their system, their core to the Red Wings and now possibly happening again with the new coach and new decor? Um, yeah, it's there's a little bit of an adjustment, but at the end of the day, it's like our position is such a unique one where it, it shouldn't matter what goes on around us. Obviously, um, you, you know, each team plays a little bit differently or they have their own set of structures and how they want to run things. Some are a little bit more man-to-man, some are a little bit more zone. So you maybe see different looks or maybe you see a certain scenario more often in a zone type of structure than you would as a man-to-man. But at the end of the day, it's not anything that you as a goalie hasn't seen before. So for me, it wasn't necessarily what was going on in front of me. It was how I was handling it all in my head. And that was one of the things 
that I was trying to take from this year was just how big of a mental challenge it was to uh, not only be be prepared and being mentally capable of playing, you know, in a full 82 game schedule, but just being in the moment and realizing what's going on and, and moving on from things that happen, whether they were good or bad. Have you had a chance to talk to a uh, coach Lalonde yet about what um, the new structure, your role might look like trying to like maybe bribe him up a little bit, give you a few more tuck, puck touches get a couple more assists under your belt anything like that no no i've talked to him a couple times i met him um i think the day or two after he uh they had the press conference announcing he was the new coach um so i just got to meet him a little bit uh and talk a little bit here and there but it was nothing structure wise or anything like that um we're just trying to get to know each other and try to build a little bit of a relationship we're just trying to see nadelkovich streaking down to the red line to take a, a clap or that's all yeah <laughs> you uh you mentioned the me- mental aspect of the game and i think a big hallmark that people are going to take away from last season for you is how strong you came back in the spring what was that like for you was that uh kind of just resetting yourself mentally or was that just part of the natural ebbs and flows of the season do you think i'm trying to think of what rebound that that happened but um I, <laughs> so there were a couple good games in there but um yeah, it's a little bit was just trying to mentally reset and, and um, do a couple of those things that I mentioned earlier and just refocus and, and move on. And part of it is just, um, you know, as well, like in season, you know, it's you're, gonna, you're not always going to have great games. And as a team, we're not always going to have our, our best. It's, uh, you know, the, the best teams, you know, Colorado had an off night every now and then as well this year. But, the you know, what made them successful was – they were going more nights than not and their best was you know better than most teams best obviously but i mean even their their so-so games were better than than most teams you know on, on most nights so that's that's what you have to do even if you don't have it you have to still find a way to 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 grind to grind out a win and, and grind out a good game so coming into this season um there's obviously the storyline that the the Red Wings went out and brought in Vili Husso, who's a great goaltender who had a great year in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, with you having played 60 games last year, uh, is there kind of a competitive fire when a new goalie is brought into the situation? Or is it just kind of business as usual for goalies? It's, it's just all part of being in the room. I, I think it's just all part of being in the room. I mean, it's, it's such a small world. Like the hockey world's a small world. The goalie the goalie world's even smaller. So, um, you know, you, you know, if you don't know a guy, you know of him, you've heard of him and hear things about him, but I, everything I've heard about Billy is he's a great guy. He's really easy to get along with. And, um, you know, there's obviously it's going to be competitive. We both want to push each other. We both want to succeed and have success and help the team, um, you know, do well and, and get some wins. But, it's not a competitiveness where, you know, I don't talk to the guy for days on end or anything like that. It's, you know, it's, it's good competition. It's healthy competition, right? Like we're just going to push each other in practice to be better. And, you know, whoever's playing better is going to get, you know, going to get the net. And, uh, you know, if it's me, it's great. If it's Billy, that's great. If we're winning games, you know, as long as it doesn't matter who's in net, right? Like, you know, we want to get to the playoffs, and at the end of the at the end of the day, we want to win that Stanley Cup. So, 
Yeah, um, obviously, Vili being one of many new additions this offseason. Have you had a chance to talk or chat with a bunch of your teammates from last season? What's uh, the vibe going around the team right now with you know five or six new players and hopefully impact players coming into the locker room this year? Yeah, there's a little bit of a buzz around the rink um, just with the handful of us that are down there training right now, I think in the next week or two couple more guys will start to filter their way in and and um you know we'll just kind of try to pick up where we left off last year and and um you know hopefully you know take a step forward but yeah you see some of the moves that steve made and some of the guys that he brought in and you can't not be excited about it there's some guys in there that i think are going to really have an impact on this team um and they're going to help you know the guys that were here last year they're going to help us grow and and hopefully you know take us you know help us take that next step obviously um mo and uh, lucas raymond had massive years with mo winning the calder trophy uh we've heard from uh, a lot of different people that they are truly special in terms of uh how rookies come in come into the nhl and their professionalism and everything we've seen the insights where uh, i guess your guys's name nickname for cider is momo which was funny to hear uh what was it like being in the room with those two rookies and with, you know, such immense talents like Cider who, who ended up winning rookie of the year? Were they different than uh, other players or other rookies that you kind of shared the room with? It was kind of a breath of fresh air, honestly, um, because, you know, there were such great talents on the ice and, and they worked hard off the ice for it. Um, but they were still just like kids, like Mo turned 21. I think Razor's turning 20 this year. Um, like they're, you know, they're still kids. Like they haven't even, they don't, they haven't even been able to really grasp what it's like to be an adult yet. Or like what it's like to have, you know, not a job, but you know, like you're, you're living on your own and, um, you gotta take care of yourself and all that. So it's, they just, you know, they came into the rink, smile on their face, like just kind of like any other day they were playing a game and on, and on the ice and practices, it was more of the same, you know, like they were just having fun, you know, trying to get better, but also enjoying it. And I think it was a little bit of breath of fresh air at times, especially when, you know, we weren't winning. We were kind of in a slump every now and then, you know, just see these guys come in and they they somehow managed to, to you know, keep the, the vibes pretty light in the room. Any jokes going back and forth between you and those two because you were going through your second rookie season while they were going through their first rookie season? No, no, nothing really like that between those guys. It was more of the older guys or guys that, you know, guys that weren't rookies that were, that were making sure that they were reminding me, you know, that I'm still, I was still a rookie or whatever. So um, I had to partake in all the rookie activities and stuff we did throughout the year. And, uh, but that's part of it. So speaking of the more experienced guys, you know, I'm thinking of Mark Stahl and Sam Gagne. And, and I suppose this year that'll probably be David Perron. There's a lot made of you know their impact on the ice and maybe they're not at the peak of their careers what's the impact of those kind of guys in the dressing room and, and being glue guys so to say or, or bringing the room together yeah i think you said it there they, um you know they were a little bit of glue guys glue guys a little bit of just kind of like that calming voice um, when things weren't going the right way and uh just kind of steady eddies like you always knew what you were going to get with them on the ice and, and off the ice right they've they've 
seen almost everything, um, you know, as athletes and as competitors and professionals. So it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a same. It was similar to like Mo and Razor, where you know they were so young and full of energy. And not to say that Stalzy and Gags, you know, they weren't full of energy. Maybe not so young, but um, you know, it was just a different voice and a different perspective um, uh, from those guys. So it was nice you got both ends of the spectrum there. Yeah, to get into um, another topic here, because I like the nerdy end of things, and you mentioned you were starting to skate a little bit. For a goaltender specifically, getting on the ice in the offseason, how much of that time is spent just kind of getting the feel back for the ice, and how much of it is spent actually like tweaking technique or you know changing how you approach you know a play on the post or how you challenge a shooter or you know slide east to west in your crease or is it just all a feel thing um it, it's a little bit of both so when you first get out there that first probably two or three times you're just going out there and everything is very simple and, and you know you're going to get into some drills and you're going to take some shots from the guys but as far as like goalie specific stuff um just working one-on-one with the goalie coach or whoever's out there it's pretty slow pretty standard just making sure that your fundamentals are there and you're working on good habits and, and making good habits um and then you do it for maybe you know 15 20 minutes at the start of the skate and then the rest of the time when you hop into drills with the guys it's trying to apply those those habits that you were building on and whatnot and those techniques and as we spend more and more time on the ice and we we get closer to camp, the intensity starts to ramp up a little bit. We're starting to do a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, we get on the ice and it's not so basic anymore. It's we do maybe one quick little warm up drill for two, three minutes, and then we kind of get right into it. Start doing a few more pushes or creating a few more scenarios, like different scenarios in our heads and and whatnot. So it's um, you know, it starts out a little slow, but it doesn't take as long as, as you would think, you know, by, by day three or four, you kind of got that, that itch back inside you and that, that bug to kind of just like go. And it, it, even on the first day, it's hard to like not go. So. For you specifically, is there anything technique wise or situationally that you've been putting a little extra focus on this summer? Not really. No, it's, it's just cleaning up some some bad habits and um, nothing like crazy, nothing major. I don't think you're going to see something like totally different than what I was doing last year, or the year before. Um, as far as on the ice goes, maybe on the ice, I've been trying to do a little bit more mental strengthening and some you know mental exercises and things like that um, to to help me you know when things aren't going so well on the ice. So. Um, but as far as like any technique and stuff like that, nothing, nothing crazy. No, I don't know, man. I think you should employ the Dominic Hasek flip Gabrick 180 in the air. It's a pretty good one. I know, but I, you know what? Today's day and age, you, you never know what can happen. You might be yeah. weeks after that. So, who knows? Uh, so you're privy to 
obviously the Red Wings shooter and shooters in practice. And obviously the talent on this team has changed a little bit, but from the players, you know, uh, who are the Red Wings or who in your mind are the most talented shooters where when they bear down on you in practice, free one-on-one with you and them, you're like, oof, this is going to be a tough shot. Um, excuse me. Uh, I mean, obviously Lark's, you know, Lark's is an, uh, an incredible talent. Razor's got a really good shot. Um, the guy that last year would always, I don't want to say give me trouble, but would be like the one guy that I would clue in on, like really like get in the zone for was Gags. It's, he, he didn't have the hardest shot, but he just, his release was kind of like funky. It was different than like, yeah, everybody else's. It was quick. It was tough to read. And, and it's not like he was blowing pucks by me or he was like putting it off the bar and in, but he would, he's like a, a smart guy. You know, he, he's, I think he had two or three goals. He scored from behind the net, banking it off the goalie. Right. Like he, he's aware of those scenarios and he's looking for those things. Like he beat me like through my arm or, you know, like just under my, like just over my pad, under my glove kind of thing. Like these awkward spots that not a lot of guys think to shoot at. And that was like always one, like he was always one guy that when he came down, I was like, I knew it was gags. <laughs> I was, I need to stop this puck. So. It's the old man tricks. He, he kept getting you with the oldest tricks in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talked about funky releases and shooting angles. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what that's like as a goalie, because obviously there are standard releases, but there are some, you know, incredibly deceptive shooters or, or players who can hide their release or do it in a way where it's different and it makes you kind of hone in. What does that look like for you in the crease and who are some of the most prolific where you, you know, maybe not on the Red Wings, but uh, uh, you see them in a game situation. You're like, OK, I have to expect the shot at any time. Um. Yeah, I like at this level, you know, everybody everybody can shoot, everybody's got a good shot. Um, but there's guys, like certain guys that just they it's usually the ones that like they get it off quicker. The guys that can do do more with less basically. They can still rip the puck 80, 90 miles an hour, but they're doing it in a almost effortless type of way. Um, and that that gets pretty tricky sometimes just because the blade of the angle might be telling you one thing or the angle of the blade might be telling you one thing, but then the puck kind of goes a different way or it's not, you know, you know, it's not necessarily like, all right, the blade's showing me glove, but then he shoots at blocker. It's not like that. It's like this puck's going to go, you know, maybe mid glove and then he ends up getting it up that extra foot and it, you know, it goes under the bar kind of like that. So those are tough. Like a guy, that gave me a lot of hard times in practice was uh, Table Terravinen. Um, just, I don't know what it was. I couldn't figure it out. Every time it come down and it would just, not, it wasn't a guessing game, but it was just like, you know, he just found a spot and he, and he was able to pick it. And, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily like he did anything crazy. I just, it was almost kind of different every time it felt like, you know, I just didn't know when he was going to shoot the puck. What gives you more trouble, the guy with a deceptive release or an OV one timer? (laughs) Probably the one timer would be the more difficult save just because you're, 
if you're talking about a one-timer, you're going to be obviously you're not going to be set on OV right there, right? You're going to be moving into that position. So that's always the most difficult save is is uh, east to west or when you have to like move, like like do a movement of any kind and then get set right away. Because if you're still moving, even if you're like in that in your position and you're just kind of like doing last little second adjustments, like getting square, or moving your your glove or your blocker, just like an inch one way or the other you know it's that puck's going so fast and they get it off so fast it's um you know it's almost impossible to catch up if you're not ready from the get-go on that do you have any conversations with your defense or even the coach systems wise to talk about like give him the shot for the love of god don't let that pass through or is it just kind of you let them do what they do and you adjust as needed um there's a little bit of discussion with um with us but like on the pk you know we'll obviously like their their washington's power play is pretty lethal one and and everybody knows you know that ovechkin's gonna be standing at the top of the circle there everybody knows that he's gonna let the puck go when he gets it like but yet he still finds a way to you know to score goals from there so it's like it's not there's really nothing – I don't know. I can't really say that there's a w- right way to do it. You just have to, you know, be prepared for that night and, you know, maybe maybe it's somebody getting in the way of one extra shot or it's maybe delaying that pass a little bit longer so, it, you know, I have an extra second to get over and, and get set earlier. Alex, you mentioned that the, uh, the NHL is a small world and obviously the goalie brotherhood is even smaller. Uh, not allowed to answer Vili Huso. Are there any goalies around the league where you watch their game and you try to kind of grab parts of their game to integrate in your own or you really admire the way they play? Um, you know, like, there's a lot of guys, like, you know, you look at Jonathan Quick, like, he was – He's so athletic and, you know, maybe technically he wouldn't be the best guy to look at. And, you know, if you were, if you were to like throw somebody in the net for the first time and show him a video of how to play goalie, he probably wouldn't be the one you would put up there, but his athleticism is what makes him so great. And that's something that you can't teach, but you know, he's a, from everything that I've heard about him, he's a hard worker and he's a guy that competes and he just you know doesn't quit and you can see it in his game and i think that's something that you can take away from is you know yeah i don't want to be kind of flailing all over the ice or doing the splits every time but you know i want to be battling for every single puck and i want to find a way to make a save um you know technically like carry price always seemed to he's always seems to be in the right spot you know he's never really out of position and it just looks smooth and you know, if you wanted to look at a guy and say, you know, how do you move efficiently or how, do, like, you know, this is how you maximize space. He's a perfect, a perfect example, I think. Obviously, you probably spend a lot of time over the years getting your technique down, your positioning sound and everything flawless. But is there just a little part of you that watches like an old highlight clip of Dominic Hasek or Tim Thomas and says, F it, let's get weird? <laughs> No, you can't do it anymore. Guys are so good now. It's like it, it's so hard to to be unpredictable. You know, you can get away with it every now and then, but um, you know, you start doing it like 
every day, every other day. It, it just kind of gets repetitive, and guys pick up on it. And then, like I said, they're so good. Like once they see you kind of commit to something, they just take what's given to them. And you know, sometimes it's just sliding it right on the ice, or it's just taking that extra step around you. So. Uh, so Alex, you're coming into this last season of your your contract with the Red Wings. What's that like for a player to to come into a contract year and uh, have those discussions started with Eisenman um, or the front office yet? No, I think we're just going to kind of take it, you know, take it day by day this year. We're not going to worry about a new contract or anything like that. You know, it's um, we're just going to try to go out there and and. and get better every day and for me that's that's my goal is to take it day by day and not worry about what happens outside the rink not worry about what happens outside the locker room it's just making sure that when I show up to the rink I'm prepared and ready to go and and for the same thing you know whether it's a practice or a game or a morning skate like as long as I'm prepared and I'm, I'm doing myself you know as much I'm doing as much as I can for myself to be ready and be in shape for training camp and, and, you know, be prepared for practices. So that way come game time, it's just second nature. Things will take care of itself away from that. So I'm not too worried about that stuff right now. I just want to go out, have some fun and, uh, you know, do my thing. Okay. And on a less serious question, I have a million friends who are goalies. And when I told them I was going to be talking to you today, they all asked me the same thing. Cause they're all absolute gear lunatics. Like I am as well. So, you're one of the Vaughn guys in the NHL. Are you coming back with the SLR threes this year? Yep. Yep. There you go. No change. Perfect. No, well, the colors will be a little different. I shouldn't say the colors, but the color scheme will be a little different, but same gear. Alex, I think my favorite part of our interview last year was um, the talk about your scoring at your levels coming up through the ranks and if I remember, it was one in the ECHL and one in the AHL. Yep. So is that still front of mind? Not front of mind, but is that still in the back of your mind when you get that puck with the empty net situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, it always is. Um, it always is. You know, I'd be lying to you if I said when I got that assistant against Boston last year, I wasn't trying to go for it. I, <laughs> I, I missed really bad. So, and it worked out. It went right back, so it looked good. But, <laughs> I'm, you know, yeah, I'm always thinking about it. Man, why would you say that? I think we talked about how beautiful that pass was on the air before. Now you've exposed us. <laughs> I, I had, you know, it was just so bad. It was good. It was one of those things. It was so bad. It was good. Well, that bought you the good karma for this year, I'm sure. I have never in my life watched a goalie and thoroughly expected them to score. And I, I can say last year, I, I every time you had the puck, I'm like, he's going to go for it. He might do it. So I'm looking forward to it this year for sure. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, I'll be looking. So. so, Alex, something that we do on this podcast is called uh, Wings Money on the Board, and we raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation and by making pledges uh, based on the way the Red Wings season goes. And so there were – I think there's going to be a lot of pledges this year for not just, you know, if you score a goal, that one would be big. Like, that's, that's a grand, easy, from a lot of different people. But uh, shutouts, saves, assists, things like that. Uh, but to say thank you – in advance for not just coming on the show, but for all the great money you're going to help us raise this season, we have one of these Mickey Redmond style winged wheel podcast custom flannels for you. Those are awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, of course. 
And uh, one last thing, any message to the fans who are uh, who are excited? I know you were telling us how amped you are for the season to start. Any message for the fans going into this year? Yeah, just, you know, looking forward to seeing them back at LCA. Um, it was incredible. I was, you know, I don't want to say I was surprised, but it was it was awesome to see the support and how every single night, you know, whether we were kind of in a slump or we were winning games, like every night the fans showed out, you guys showed out, and it was awesome to be a part of. And hopefully this year we can get a few more wins and, uh, you know, give you guys something a little bit more to celebrate about. All right, folks, this has been Alex Ndelkovich, uh, goaltender for the Detroit Red Wings. Alex, all the best to you this season and with uh, raising Brady and Zeke. It seems like you're going to have your hands full. Yep. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Cheers. All right. That was our interview with Alex Ndelkovich. It's always, you know what? We've had a lot of really great uh, guests on the show, but it's always a lot of fun and very interesting to have an active Detroit Red Wings player. And I think it's a privilege for us, and we're we're so thrilled to bring that to you. Um, it's a fun and different dynamic, though. I think Alex was really, really great and gave us some really good insights um, into what it's like being a goalie. You can tell that he there's no bigger critic to his own game than than Alex Nedeljkovich. I like that comment he had when he was, you were talking about like the uh, the rebound he had the rebound, sprint. and he's like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what rebound? <laughs> he's so." You know, even though we saw, and I maintain, I think we saw a return to form. It's not like he he had a shutout every game, but we saw a lot more games where Alex Ndelkovich really bailed the Red Wings out, or at least was up to the task. Not it, according to Alex Ndelkovich. No, it, in the like last quarter of last season, right? But according to him, it's like, you know, he's he wants to be at the top of his game. And that's not a surprise. All premier NHL players have that drive. But yeah, it was really, really interesting. And um very uh, kind of poignant for him to say that. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see how he bounces back this year. You can tell it's a priority that he comes out and has has a great season. I I think uh, I can't remember who I was talking to or someone was was tweeting at me. There there's a lot of confidence I think in the Red Wings goaltending around the league to have a Huso Nedeljkovic tandem, and that genuinely has to be on paper. Not counting you know the quality of the team and the defense in front and anything like that on paper, one of the better goaltending duos you can have in the division. Yeah, as far as a one-two punch goes, because they're both youngish. Um, I think Villy's a little older than Ned, but both have high upside. And, um, you know, like we talked about, the odds of at least one of them popping is pretty good. And um, if they both do, that's one of the best tandems in the league. So... All the best uh, to Vili Huso joining a new team and Alex Ndelkovich looking to uh, build on the positive parts of last season. Before we move on here, I want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings it right to you. With more than 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. 
Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. And if you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. You think NordVPN can uh, erase some of my bad golf shots? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I you know what? They do a lot of amazing work, but I don't think they can help you with your putting, buddy. Well, I think God tracked online. If we're talking about golfing, my putting the past two rounds has been electric. Oh. I've figured something out, and I'm not going to talk any more about it because next time I go out and I do the same thing, I'm going to three whack all around the course. <laughs> Thank you for talking about your three whack. That's right. Okay, let's jump into the signing that was uh, pretty much capping off Eisenman's work, barring something surprising happening, which is it's Steve Eisenman, so you never know, uh, for the summer. Philip Zadina, where there was only quiet and there was a long length of time where we heard nothing about it, uh, signed, he was a restricted free agent, uh, signed a three-year, $1.825 million per year contract extending with the Red Wings, and he is still a restricted free agent upon expiry of that contract. So initial thoughts. There's a big range of possibilities as to how this contract's going to play out. And if you're talking just the likely ones, none of them are bad. Um, If Philip Zadina does not improve one ounce from what he is currently, this is a perfectly reasonable price to to pay a good third liner who can chip in 25, 30-ish points. 1.8 isn't a ton, and that's good value for what Zadina currently is. And despite his struggles, I'd say the odds of Zadina regressing are extremely low um, based on, you know, just the way he's been playing, the bad luck he's already had um, and some of the other things he's been working through and some of his strengths, obviously. But the other end of this spectrum of possibilities is in three years, we're talking about the last year of this contract as one of the best value contracts in the NHL. If Zadina does turn into even modestly a 20-30 guy, like a 20 goals, 30 assists, playing on a second line, That'll be one of the best value contracts in the NHL. Now, I'm not saying that's likely to happen. That's literally the other end of the spectrum, like very end. Yeah, but would anybody in the world be surprised if I told you, hey, he learned to aim. Philip Zina scored 20 goals this year. <laughs> he learned to aim. <laughs> Shoot better. Yeah, I don't I don't think a lot of people would think that's completely out of the realm of, like, I don't think people would think that's crazy. Again, based on the way his career's played out so far, not the most likely scenario, but like, you know, we had our hot take nuclear take on the thing that that wouldn't even be a lukewarm take. It'd be like, yeah, okay. He finally gets together. It happens with young players. So I was shocked that Zadina agreed to a three-year contract at that AAV. I figured Zadina would want to bet more on himself. And I, I'm not surprised that the AAV came in at this because Eiserman obviously is like, hey, we like you, but you haven't done anything yet. So we're not going to pay you like you've done anything yet. And Zidane would have countered with fair enough. Then give me a one or two year deal. And then you'll have to pay me more a three year deal. Cause if Zadina does get it together in the next year or two, he's leaving probably a decent amount of money on the table. I understand what you're saying in a vacuum, but I think considering the years Zadina had, you know, nearly a full season played 74 games, he had 10 goals. 
He had 10 goals, 14 assists, 24 points, and he really lapsed into some of the worst habits and slumps that he sees in his game. So his confidence really... Define habits. Um, you know, I think he he overthinks and tries to do everything when he's not finishing, which was supposed to be one of like the premier parts of his game, which turns into poor decision-making when you know he can do better. And I think he's liable for turnovers, like kind of boneheaded turnovers when he's a way better player than that. It's not all the time, but we saw him at his... I would say, we, to simplify it, we saw him at his lowest lows this past season. So I think his his confidence is short. So yeah, you're right. He probably left some money on the table by taking, let's call it an extra year. But I think the gamble he's taking here is, okay, this team is willing to buy into me as a player for three more years, you know, barring a trade. He's a, signed as a restricted free agent and he's a restricted free agent for, like he's not UFA eligible for any of these years or equivalent. So he has no trade protection possible. Um, but you said this team's buying into me for three more years I need to take advantage of that and really use these three years to maximize who I am as a player because I have not shown the Red Wings what I can do. And I agree with you, Brad. 1.825 million. I think the qualifying offer at the end of it will be like 2.19 million as an R- nothing. ARB eligible RFA. It's not, it, it's, especially with the cap, it's going to be higher than that will be even cheaper than this. If Philip Zina isn't worth 2.2 at the end of this contract, he's not making it to the end of this contract. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so, on balance, the Red Wings got an all-scenarios win here. It would take something absolutely catastrophic and for this to not be wor- at least worth 1.825 for the next three years. And then in that case, you're just like, okay. You're on the hook. For, even if you bury them in the minors, they're on the hook for what, about 900000 It's fine. <laughs> yeah, okay. A couple more hot and readies. That's it. Every, if you're wondering why your pizza is 50 more cents, Michigan. That's why. But no, thanks, Philip. <laughs> genuinely, though, I think and that's. I'm talking absolute worst case doom and gloom, and that's not what I believe in. My bias. That's not what my eyes show me either. No, because I think Philip Zadina just went through his worst case scenario, as you already mentioned. I like agree. that. If this last season is all we ever get from Philip Zadina, I still think 1.8 is fine. Like he wasn't a net negative player on the Red Wings last year, and. Uh, I, no, on over the course of the season, no. Yeah, like, did he have like fifteen to twenty games where you're like, best to forget about those ones? Of course, but like most Red Wings had a lot of those last year. Yeah, but he he's talented enough where he shouldn't have. No, no, and of course, of course not. But again, it was his first eighty-two game season. Mm-hmm. Like he he's been a we'll call it a COVID baby in the NHL, <laughs> where he hasn't had. Any consistency, he hasn't, that was his first full season. Cause again, the season before was a COVID shortened season, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, did we expect full consistency out of him? No. And did we get it? No. Did we see flashes of what made him a six overall pick? Yeah. Is he going to live up to that? Definitely not. But at the very least, what I will conservatively say is I think what Philip Zadina is, is better than he showed last year. And if it's even a little better than he showed last year, it's a good value contract. There were some learnings with Philip Zadina. I just gave the doom and gloom points. Let me give you some of the positive points that Brad alluded to there. He, when he wasn't absolutely slumping and in his own head because shots weren't going in and you know he had bad bounces or whatever, which led to just bad habits and spiraling downwards, he was doing a lot of things well. He was He's a better playmaker than he gets credit for. He was able to carry the puck, and when he was, 
it sounds so stupid to say, but when he wasn't making bad decisions, he was making great decisions on the ice. When he was, yeah, I know, right? Simply win. When he was paired with someone like Jacob Vrana, who obviously is a phenomenal player to be paired with, you really saw a lot of things click with him. He's not going to drive a line on his own. We've learned that with Philip Zadina. That was the hope when you drafted him sixth overall, that maybe from the wing, he'd be able to drive, play a little bit more. And that's okay that he's not that player. Like Brad said, you we can't hold him to that sixth overall pick standard anymore. Much like Michael Rasmussen, you have to let go of where they were drafted and just hope that they can turn out to the best version of, of what we've seen from them. If they, if Derek Lalone and the Red Wings coaching staff and management staff just gives Zadina the best situation to work with and helps to stop him from getting so down and spiraling further and further downwards. I genuinely think we can see more of the positive games where instead of 15 to 20 games where it's like, it's best to forget that it's like a handful each year, the same amount that Larkin has or Bertuzzi has, or any like other good player. It stinks on the same night. The team stinks. If he ends up being a middle six player who can contribute on the power play, I think that's a really good turnout for the Red Wings right now. I think he could be more than that, but I think that's what they should be targeting with him. And I, I think there's still so much in him. He's still 22 years old. He's not going to, he'll be 23 at the end of November. He's still 22. I think this, this guy has a lot more in him and it's not like he's devoid of talent. He's not end of career Franz Nielsen out there. It's, it's very hot, very cold. I mean, the easiest thing to fix is, is the finishing ability, but I just don't know that that, that shooting skill is necessarily there at the NHL level. I mean, for perspective, they were picked about a round apart, but he was in the same draft as Jonathan Berggren. And we're talking, yeah, he probably doesn't make the wings this year. Mm-hmm. And Zadina's going into his, what, fourth season? So, yeah, I I don't think we should be too down on him just yet. I mean, he was young enough to qualify for Queer Promise pipeline rankings this week. Yeah, which I thought was... Red Wings ranked second, by the way. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny that he he qualified for that. I think he's... But it's, there's so many players in the league that it's, it's really easy to forget just how young they are. If you pulled anybody around the league, or even your average Red Wings fan... Not allowed to Google it. How old is Philip Zadina? It feels like the answer is like 26. Michael Rasmussen, 33. <laughs> yeah. I I honestly am, am often talking in circles when I talk about Philip Zadina because my very obvious bias is that I want this guy to succeed. And not because it's like, oh, we want to be right about Zadina because we were excited about him. I think most people were. It's just that it's not like he's been a flop from the start. We've seen it in him. I, I think there's there's more to be unlocked. It's not a guarantee that there it, it will be. It's on him and it's on the, the coaching staff, but I think it's there. I would think it's one of the top priorities for the coaching staff yeah. will be to fix or be the Philip Zadina whisperers. Yeah. Like you would think it. You would think it. You would think it. Um because they've basically got the team already. Like they're they brought in all these guys. They're they're not getting a an ultra superstar like Edmondson might make the team, but you're really going to have to develop from the, what you have on the Red Wings roster right now. And Philip Zadina, if he scored 20 goals this season, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I'd say that's a job well done after the past season. A 20 goal season, I think should be the target. Absolutely. We've in for a small sample, but we've seen him score at a 20 goal pace before. Yeah. He was a half a point per game player well into the start of his career. And it wasn't until this season where he, he like, <laughs> really dropped off of that pace but yeah it, it's there and Eisman took a gamble in the sense that he's like well we'll keep you around for three years we like you enough to at least have you for that long and um 
And like I said, Zadina said, okay, let's do it. So, and at the end of it, Zadina is still an RFA. Detroit will still control his rights. So if it does go really, really well, he's, he's still going to get paid because he'll be what, 25 at the end of this contract. So, you know, he'll, he could still get a payday. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned something when we were covering this on Twitter, Brad, and I think it was, people might not like the point, but it's a fair one in, in the business of hockey and players who don't have trade protection it's one to talk about if you're into that sort of thing this is i think how you phrased it yep. it's a tradable contract if need be very tradable there have been i think pretty well substantiated rumors that have been floating around and that we've heard personally that philip zadina has been shopped or part of conversations before um obviously hasn't moved but there's there have been questions on whether the team was fully in on him at different points so not to say that the team's out on him and they just signed him only to trade him, but this is a movable deal. And that's another advantage to it for Eisenman and the Red Wings. I think this contract increased his value as a trade asset, looking at it from that point, because if there's a team truly out there that looks at Philip Zadine and goes, we can fix him, then they're going to think they're getting phenomenal value in the second and third year of this contract, depending when, if he gets traded. Um. Yeah, and it's would be again pretty low risk for the team trading for him because if it doesn't work out, like I said, it'd only be about nine hundred on the cap hit to bury him in the minors. So, yeah, I, it turns into a you know potential just change of scenery trade to okay, this could be a valuable asset to a lot of teams. We talked a lot about Zadina's struggles over the last season, especially. What in your mind needs to change? in his game and what needs to change in his deployment or usage from a coaching perspective. So, you know, both sides of the coin here, what needs to be done differently to give Philip Zadina the best chance of being the best Philip Zadina? A shooter tutor in his driveway. (laughs) Isn't it? It sounds overly simplistic. And yes, the reasons for it are much more complicated because when you lack confidence, you rush shots, you um, feed the shot into the shin pads of the defender. You don't pick the right spots to take the shot. So it's, it's, more complicated than just his aim sucks. But I think all of Zadina's problems come down to his shooting right now. And I truly mean that because we've seen him at his best away from the shooting be a good defensive player, compete super hard, can distribute the puck. One of the best players on the Red Wings for transporting the puck through the neutral zone mm-hmm. and into the offensive zone. Um, so he, he's one of the better zone entry players. He can create chances off the rush better than almost anybody not named Dylan Larkin on the Red Wings. And then he gets to the net, screws it all up, destroys his confidence. And then like a virus, it starts spreading into the other parts of his games. Cause when he's going, you can see it. He, he gets a, if he could play Carolina every game, cause it feels like every goal he's ever scored has been against Carolina. He'd look like an entirely different player, but yeah, when, when you miss that many chances, when you, you know, expect to have 25 goals based on the chances you've generated and you're walking away with 10. Yeah. Your, your confidence is almost impossible to keep high at that point. And you know, if you have no confidence with the puck, well, guess what? You're going to stop carrying the puck. You're not going to want the puck. You're going to want to give away the puck. You want this on and off your stick as quickly as possible. So, you know, that wasn't the case for every game with him. Like most games he was able to keep that under control, but when he couldn't, it was obvious. It was malignant. It spread to every part of his game where shooting talent shouldn't turn into a boneheaded decision in your own zone where you're giving the puck away, but it did. That's, that's the kind of mental that he struggled with where 
I think you have to kind of think that he was in the doghouse a lot. He, he played, and you said this last season, Brad, he played like he was afraid to make mistakes when he was at his lowest. To be fair, that wasn't a problem exclusive to Vil- Philip Zadina. No, but I think it affected him the most. Oh, he had the yeah. hardest time breaking out of that. And he did get bumped down the lineup a lot last year and his ice time did suffer. And um, justifiably based on the way he was playing, yeah. Justifiable based on how those around him were playing, no. So, you know, players aren't dumb. They see that as well. If, you know, I'm Philip Zadina and go, yeah, I'm not playing great, but holy shit, look at what those guys are doing. It's a different... Very nice that he now is a coach that's not... Well, I mean, Derek alone is going to be fighting for his job, but not in the same sense as Jeff Blaschel was. Yeah. Like, Jeff Blaschel was trying to scratch out some wins that really try and hang on to something every win was his employment on the line whereas yeah the leash which i hate saying the the derrick alone's got so much room to try new things and try out combinations and let guys make some mistakes um i only think that is a positive for philip zadina and getting pushed down the lineup now isn't as big of a punishment yes. as it used to be now if he gets pushed down the lineup he's not banished to the land of misfit players with adam ernie and giovanni smith who are completely incapable of getting him the puck so no his worst case right now might be playing with joe valeno which is great <laughs> yeah and they, they had stretches together last year where they look good so if that's his worst case scenario you know at least he's better off than he was last year <laughs> yeah i can't sit here i would love to see philip zadina playing with Jacob Verana, but I would also love to see Jacob Verana playing with whoever the best wingers are on the Red Wings, and that might not be Philip Sedina. There might be a lot of preseason time where that happens. Because he'll try stuff like that out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, to see what Lalone does with that because the Red Wings, the way their forwards are built, you can almost like perfectly cut a line between the first line, second line, and third line at each position just based on skill. Lucas Raymond is obviously the best right winger. David Perron is obviously the second best. Philip Zedina is obviously the third. You look at um, left wing, it goes Bertuzzi, Verona, Kubelik, center, Larkin, Cop, like Suter, like literally chop it. So you would think those should be the lines. And, you know, if I'm building a team, that's how I build the lines. But there's a lot to be said about balancing lines and maybe getting a second line talent on your third line to balance it out. And we did see the obvious chemistry Verona and Zadina have had. So maybe Perron and Zadina flip-flop. And then just to kind of keep those matchups together and then running instead of a de facto number two line, you have um, a slightly weakened second line, but now a second and third line that is legitimately dangerous, which is something not every coach, but a lot of coaches do deploy. And if Lalonde wants to take that strategy, pairing up Zadina with Verona would be the best way to maximize that based on what we've seen in the past. Like Evan just said, not even just the preseason, but over this entire year as the Red Wings figure out their chemistry with all those new players that Brad just talked about, I think there's going to be opportunity to do that. And you're right, Evan, I think. You'll see it in training camp too. I bet you there'll be a very clear idea of very early in training camp what they're sort of thinking or what they're trying to, to tease or what they're trying to play around with. And, you know, Philip Zadina now has, I think he can breathe a little more now that he has a contract. And what he now has to do, you know, aside from the the joke I made earlier, which is just play well, which is even if he's bumped down the lineup because there are really great players ahead of him, be ready for the first injury, trade, whatever opportunity to to go in and step in. And, you know, anytime the top six are slumping and if he's not in them, then be the depth scoring to justify moving up. This is an opportunity for Philip Zadina. 
I don't want to say it's like, you know, he's lucky to have it. No, I think it would have been foolish for the Red Wings to just outright give up on him for nothing. Um, but he has to make really good use of this next year, especially. He has every opportunity to to garner success at this point. Yeah. All in all, I mean, from uh, Philip Zadina perspective, not counting money left on the table or whatever, I think it's he has to be happy having three years of, of runway and confidence from the team. And from an Iserman and, and Red Wings perspective, like, is this going to win them the cup? No, but for an RFA contract and a player in Zadina situation, there are very few scenarios where the Red Wings don't come out ahead here in my mind. I think this is a really, really good piece of work from Iserman in his front office. Yeah, I the worst case scenario we talked about, I actually don't think is, I, I give it a less than 2% chance. I, I think the baseline is he is what he is. and You're paying 1.8 for a half-decent third liner. I think that truly is the realistic worst case scenario, which is fine. It's the same as Michael Rasmussen. You're paying them not a lot of your cap where worst case, they are, they are what they are right now, which isn't what you wanted, but it still contributes in a way to the team. As long as you use them properly, that's it. And unlike Rasmussen, there actually is a chance Zadina could pop. Like, like, I'll back off. You two go ahead. Rasmussen, can outplay the contract for sure and showed potential of it. But like Rasmussen is not a guy who there's not a thought in anybody's head that he's a 25, 30 goal scorer. But wasn't that one of your hot takes, Evan, that Rasmussen could was, pop 25? Or did I say 20? I probably said 25 because that's uh, more hot. It was, yeah, yeah it was a little, hot take. But we're referencing right now uh, our last Patreon exclusive offseason episode was hot take nuclear take. And we did Red Wings and NHL takes. So it's good fun. And Go it kind of turned into Red Wings, NHL and Leafs. But <laughs> yeah, guess what we had to say about the Leafs? Subscribe <laughs> to find out. <laughs> but um, but I like we've seen improvement from Rasmussen, but we've never seen Rasmussen at the NHL level look like a 25 goal guy. He's never, we have well, seen. Well, well, do I have something in store for you for 22, 23? <laughs> I hope so. But we have seen stretches from Zadina where he looks like a legitimately dangerous top six forward. So he just has to, like, again, at this point, likely nobody's saying it is, but that still remains in the world of possibilities for Philip Zadina. So 15 goal Michael Rasmussen, you think is the absolute peak we'll see from him? Not peak, but I, I think we're close to it. Okay. Cause like, I think like a career year for Michael Rasmussen at this point is like he 20 ish goals, give or take. I think he, the nice thing about Michael Rasmussen, I think he was lost at the start of his career. Like they didn't really, they really wanted to force him at center. He didn't really know how to fit in. He was young he was stuck in this weird spot, and I think last year, really, he started to figure out what his role is and how he can succeed in the NHL, and we definitely saw that as the season progressed. So I think this year, him and Philip Zadina have all everything in place for them now to succeed. It's just they have to grab on and, and do it. In the textbook of how to develop a prospect, there's going to be entire chapters um, on Michael Rasmussen and Dennis Cholosky just labeled what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> Michael or Dennis Cholosky's name popping up on the cap friendly transactions yeah. like every four months is like, like oh, what could have been? What could have been? Okay, let's take on some uh, NHL news before jumping into overtime. Phil going to Vegas. Hell yeah. Vegas signing Phil Kessel for $1.5 million is I think great for Vegas and great for Phil. That's a absolute bargain for Vegas. 
I love Didn't it. he wasn't the so he's got the all time longest active game streak right he, he will he, tie it in game seven of the season against the toronto maple oh so you know the leafs are gonna lose because it's game seven <laughs> did you have that one chalked up no wow off the cuff baby oh my god evan did you just level up as a podcast host? i must have watch out everybody yeah i forget i forget <laughs> i might not have this exactly right but the way the vegas schedule worked out for kessel is almost perfect because he would tie the all-time record against the leafs he would break the all-time record against Vegas's biggest rival, the Sharks. Was, yeah, and his thousandth game would be against Arizona. That is crazy. The hockey gods work. Do you think the league things. just set that up as like uh, was like Vegas? You have no. Yeah, they looked at the schedule and said this one works best. Sign him. No, the NHL, who in some uh, in some markets comes third in priority for the arena, absolutely could not set that up. When, they especially tried. when especially when there's only two pro teams in the city. Yeah, when the NHL regularly has to worry about where Ariana Grande is performing to schedule right. the games, and I heard she puts on a hell of a show. But yeah, tough for the NHL scheduler. The NHL scheduler who just got out of COVID, just trying to barely make everyone everything work, disheveled and hardly conscious, listening to this podcast, hearing you wonder if he did it on purpose, <laughs> probably ready to throttle He's you like, right yes, now. yes, of course, it was my finest work. <laughs> yeah, punched through his third monitor of the week. Yeah. Um, and then the World Cup of Hockey, apparently in the works to come back for 2024. I think it's fun with one big old caveat. Every four years, World Cup, of Ho- World Cup of Hockey, that's fine. NHL, make your money, do your thing, whatever. Every four years offsetting at a two-year interval, Olympics. Yep. Send the players. Yep. The I, fact that the NHL is doing this midseason has officially like smashed any argument they've had against the Olympics in the past. You know how it's going to go, though. They're going to say, we have a best-on-best best international tournament, and here it is. And they're going to sell it as... Well, players, a big thing is owners don't like to send their players whose contract they're playing overseas for something that doesn't benefit them. But this World Cup of Hockey will benefit the NHL owners, and that's our compromise. The Olympics does benefit the NHL in a roundabout way. They get to showcase their game on a global scale. No, Evan, it's got to be direct dollars or it doesn't count. Reinvesting in yourself, Evan? advertising what's it, that it drives me abs i there has to be more to it well, well maybe there, there doesn't is. have to be the ioc is also like refusing they they're also culpable in this it's it's billionaires versus other billionaires versus millionaires and, and like politics is involved and who loses us and they all suck yeah including us um the only way i will care for this is if they don't do team north america Whoa, you're I, anti-Team North America. I think I'm, they've said they they're won't not, do it again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that's at least how it's trending. Because I don't care about funny team playing Finland and or funny team playing the States and Matthews and Eichel are on funny team. <laughs> yeah, but then how are we going to get a gold medal rematch of the last World Cup uh, where it was Team Canada against Team Some of Europe? So if if so if uh, Team Funny Name plays other Team Funny Name in the final, do they, when they raise the banners, do they just stand there in silence, or no, how does they, that work? They play the Nashville national anthem. Wasn't Team North America something like Party Rock anthem or something like that? I love this little window into Evan's mind. Um, the case study is moving forward rapidly after yeah, this episode. Well, no, the the kids team, the child team, North America, uh, their national anthem would just be the Barney theme song. <laughs> yeah, so if they don't do that, that'd be pretty cool. I was going to say the Caillou theme song, but man. 
Nobody likes Caillou, not Nobody, even kids. Ungrateful little shit. Yeah. Yeah, if they do the best teams that a country can come up with or best players a country can assemble, that is what I want to see. I don't want to see the – maybe I'm an old man, but I don't want to see Team TikTok versus Team Retirement. Like, I don't want to see that. No, you know what? I want I Canada. I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see Canada versus the United States, everybody healthy, one game take all. I want it. I no, want that's so you've, bad. Nope. Sorry. You've ruined this for me. I want to see Mark Messier in a game against Pavel Barber and like always hockey. <laughs> team Metaverse versus Team TikTok. We're actually not playing this in on the ice. We're going to give you a VR headset and you can watch it online. <laughs> team TikTok and versus we're gonna Team We're going to condense Bo- it to a 15 second clip. No, how, the team name was right there for you. Evan, it's Team TikTok versus Team Boomer Window. <laughs> that's it. Mark Messier faces off against Addison Ray. <laughs> That's how you grow the game. This is wildly off the rails. <laughs> You're welcome. That's okay. Alex Delkovich was dropping Lord of the Rings comments in our mentions today. So it's just been that kind of day. All right. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime here. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. If you're wondering how we keep the show going during the offseason, it is because uh, of our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, join the Discord, Discord and get access to the uh, special Patreon exclusive offseason episodes, which are good fun. And, of course, uh, the full overtime for every episode is posted right after, and that's Patreon exclusive as well. So we're going to start with a comment from Brian Vasha, who says, How much impact will the player changeover and new coaching staff have on the players like Zadina, Suter, and Rasmussen? How long will the new coaching staff's decisions take to start being noticeable on the ice? Ideally, right away. It should be right away for like somewhat of a, a noticeable change. Training camp and preseason are very long. Some of these things should be... Um, locked into the players' brains by the time the season starts. But to see truly what we're getting out of Rasmussen and Zadina uh, from Lalone, that will take much longer. The impact of the new players, like we mentioned during the, the conversation about Zadina, it's going to make it harder for them to move up the lineup. But the flip side of that coin is they're going to have better players to play with. And play less tough matchups. So, you know... Teams can game plan and they will game plan a lot more for a top six winger than they will for someone who's buried on the third or fourth line. So if he ever needs to to break your confidence through, it's by playing against the other teams, you know, fighters, grinders, less talented players, rookies who are more liable to make mistakes. Um, it's not a given. And another important thing to remember is that just because we drop these lines and these are the ones that make sense, like you were talking, Brad, where you can actually like rank them in terms of skill. By all rights, it's not going to shake up that way. It's not usually how it goes. Or if it settles in there, something will break that that combination eventually. Not maybe to the degree we saw with Jeff Blashill, but to some degree. So, yeah, there's a lot there that um, that can benefit, but it's a two-sided coin in my mind. Uh, okay, there is a question here from Gingerbeard Man who says, it's starting to feel like we have moved from nuclear to hot takes regarding Larkin and the lack of an extension in place. Is his agent trying to make Eisenman blink? That's kind of his job. Yeah. you'd If you're Larkin, you hope so. So, I mean, if you've seen news or, or tangible reports, I'll tell you there's almost nothing coming out of that negotiation. It is not... Obviously, Eiserman will never release anything, but for Larkin and his new representation at, at CAA, 
it's in their best interest to not, you know, blow this up and make it, make it public either. So there's very little leaking out of there, which is a good sign because it means it hasn't gone south to that degree. But yeah, Larkin changing representation right before a big contract negotiation, probably the single most important document he'll sign in his life. It's going to have the biggest financial outcome. They're definitely trying to maximize his return here. So I don't know what, if you had to guess what they're aiming for. Eight and a half by eight. Probably around there. I wouldn't be surprised if nine is an initial ask, something like that. And Iserman is a pretty patient guy. The the foremost story of that is when he let Steven Stamkos test the market. Like by all rights, Stamkos was ready to walk. Now we're back to Dennis Chalosky. <laughs> he came back to Tampa Bay. So He'll take it to the wire if he needs to. I'm sure he's not fond of that idea, especially with something someone as important as Larkin, but it's happened in bigger situations. So, yeah, they are trying to make him blink, but it's all par for course. Did you purposely link Stamkos and Chalosky there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's on it. I was going to say, because that was the trade down to get the money. So, okay. he's like, And it turns out Stephen Stamkos never even talked to the Red Wings. Nope. That is, wow, what a... Next level game planning. Turns out that this offseason slowdown really re-energized Evan more than you or I. Well, at least uh, on the plus side, it wasn't like the other end of that draft pick swap was Jacob Chikrin or anything like that. Anyways. <laughs> oh, my heart. Jeremy Dahl says, uh, next question in my series about the Red Wings. Why do the Red Wings have the best fan base in all of the NHL? Let me tell you something that I really love about they got Red the Wings. best podcast. Oh, absolutely. With the best host as a as uh, according to his performance today are you going to keep this this going nope <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your confidence you're welcome um here's something that i love about red wings fans they are a smart crowd in the arena they understand the nuances of the game and it doesn't mean that they're not biased and they're always objective no fan base or crowd should be like that's just not what you, that's not what sport is for you should be a little biased out there you should cheer for the best best outcomes for your teams but you look at teams who are very new to being successful and they'll cheer or boo nonsensical things or like the world's most obvious, like a guy who was not even dressed, ran on the ice and two handed chopped the other teams like Anthem singer and gets kicked out of the game and the, the fans will boo them, boo the rest for that. And it's like, you know what? You got to learn a little bit about the sport, but the Red Wings have part of being successful for so long and truly being a hockey town. I, I really appreciate how smart Red Wings fans are especially in the game it makes me miss when the red wings played playoff games because you could really hear them more i'll give that a woo watch yourself <laughs> watch yourself uh okay question here from large the prophet of the towering behemoth it got truncated it says with liam dover nielsen uh, having played first line left wing in a couple of preseason games theodore niederbach and marco casper both playing center in the rogla games with similar minutes but officially on the second and third lines respectively i would say all three are looking good for the future lord elmer also played center in j20 but developed so quickly he never got moved to that position in the shl but he does uh, have experience from it who do you think is most likely to stick at center and why? Why is there no talk of uh, Elmer Soderblom as future center? Tage Thompson was a winger until he wasn't. Thoughts about that comparison? I find Thompson and the behemoth to be quite similar with a similar narrative around them. Also, I just bought a horse, a halflinger full. I guess what it's named. Naturally, it's named Elmer. That was a ride. Congrats on the new horse. Sorry you didn't name it Evan. 
Out of those three, the only one I think is going to be a center at the NHL level is Marco. Um, Soderblom doesn't have the playmaking you would ideally like for a center at the NHL level. You can generally get away with not having that if you also have above average foot speed, which he doesn't have. I mean, his skating has come a long way. I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's hard to play center be good defensively and be good offensively when your offensive role is, I don't think limited is the right word, but when you're kind of a specialist. So plus with his skill set and the way he is, he'd be way more successful on the wing in general, playing with a guy like Marco Casper, who can do most of the skating, transport the puck, and then, and then in the offensive zone, get it to Elmer. And then let him do his thing. So, um, and Niederbach, I just don't think plainly is quick enough uh, or physical enough to be a center in the NHL. Um, I still think Niederbach's a, a longer shot to not make the NHL. Uh, sorry, is more likely to not make the NHL than to make it at this point. Um, not by a huge margin, but um, so yeah, I think Casper is built for center in the NHL. You know, in a pinch, could Elmer do it? Yeah, but much like Michael Rasmussen, ideally he wouldn't be. And then Niederbach, I just don't think has the tools to do it in the NHL. I will say it's not impossible, but I think when you draw comparisons to a Tage Thompson, that is like the, that's the most positive end of the spectrum. Like it's certainly available and it it certainly could turn out that way. I just wouldn't hinge hopes on that. And there's only been one guy in the mold of a Tage Thompson so far for a reason. So... This could all turn upside down once we see how Soderblom plays in North America, though. Like, it's still a very big question mark. The, the error bars here, speaking to the stat- statistician side of Evan, those are quite wide. So um, I don't think it's a crazy thought, just probably not one that I would hedge bets on for now. But it's an interesting discussion. Also, owning a horse. Every time I, I hear someone talk about owning a horse, they're always it's always like um, owning a boat. Like, it's just a money sink. Yep. But... You also have a horse. That's pretty badass. That'd be cool. Question here from uh, Connor Murphy. If the Red Wings were in the Pacific Division, do they make the playoffs this year? <sighs> it makes it interesting, I think. I don't know that I think they make the playoffs, but um, it's closer. <clears throat> I'd still say no, but like the odds versus now would be way slimmer. Because do I think... Detroit is better than Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, or LA yet. No, you could debate LA. Um, I think they're in the same tier as Seattle, maybe a little above Seattle. You would hope they'd be above. Even if Seattle gets better, you'd hope Detroit would be above. Yeah, Seattle, everything with them hinges on goaltending because they actually weren't a terrible team last year. They just got sewered by Grubauer. Um, So... Yeah, I'd give them like a 40%-ish chance to make the playoffs in the Pacific. I think I'd go lower. I'd probably put it at 25, but I will say... Weren't you guys saying that the Red Wings would be a fringe playoff team this year? No, I, I think like it's not... rumbling about it? Yeah, it's not crazy for them to be, you know, in and out of the outside of the wildcard spots. Like, I don't think yeah. the Red competing Wings will- for it and actually making it are two very different things. Like Islanders and Columbus 
Well, then what would your odds be for Atlantic? Even lower. Here's what I was going to say. On the high end? Because who are going to hold the divisional seeds in the Atlantic? Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I think it is way more likely for something insane to happen in the Pacific with Calgary, Edmonton, and then Vegas or LA than it is with that Atlantic group. Like those three in my mind, not counting whatever Boston is able to do this year, and they're kind of up in the air. Yeah, the Metro is a strong division, and Boston, despite their early injuries, will still be good. So you have to either get that crossover spot in the Metro or take out Boston. I don't think Detroit's a playoff team in either conference or any division in either conference, but it certainly is a lot more plausible of an idea in the West where anything can happen in the NHL, but really anything can happen in the West this year is the way I look at it. Like there's a reality this year where Detroit shoots up the rankings, finishes ninth in the East and still misses the playoffs by 12 points. Like, (laughs) yeah. If they're the Red Wings, how many points did they finish with last year? They had 70 something, 74. The Red Wings could improve by 20 points, 20 points. And still miss. Right? And still miss. I mean, that's not counting who they based take on, those points off of yeah. and all that. Yeah. But still, based nuanced. on last year's standings, that would have missed the playoffs. So you really, if you're trying to guarantee it, you're saying they're making a divisional seed. And I, I think it's pretty unlikely in the Atlantic, but a little, very sorry, very unlikely in the Atlantic and just pretty unlikely in the Pacific. But hey. This would have been a conversation that we would have had to have, you would have had to have smacked me for entertaining you just last year. So we're getting closer. All right. It's time for us to record our Patreon exclusive overtime. So we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, patrons and subscribers can stay tuned for a midweek uh, episode, another Patreon exclusive. Uh, and then next Sunday is the next time we'll be back, barring some insane news happening midweek. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. All of our listeners, the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, uh, all of our patrons, our, our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Ake Fur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, uh, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69 crime, Ryan Hannes Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Arjun, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutina Nanoluski, Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey. Oh, Crispy. Crispy. I think he's making a pun. Good God. You did not just get that. Yeah, I, I just got that. Oh, my God. Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Hassam Al Qasem. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't Evan Lobsinger, <laughs> Jay Gollum, <laughs> Jacob Turner, Caitlin Wood, King Tone. Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog as a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Bertuzzi and Hronik trade proposal number 69, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evans adult film star, alter ego, Kevin Lobsaber, Evans Neglected Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Madison Bowie, uh, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, who is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome. Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Ryan Hanna, 
the Prophecy Lopsinger Hot Tub episode, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevavar. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.